0: Hi everyone, this is Dev Raga, Personal Finance, and welcome to episode 36. In this episode, we'll discuss mainly about licks, or listed investment companies. We'll also go into a little bit about David Bach, who's just released a new book called The Latte Factor. And I just want to share a story um, that I came across um, in the newspapers about a new app which allows you to access your income, your wages earlier than payday. So as you know, for those people that have just joined to this podcast channel, my channel is all about financial education, about financial topics, so that it empowers you to learn more about finances and you can apply them, uh, the basic principles in your own personal life. And the basic premise of my podcast channel is I believe that everyone who earns a salary or makes an income should pay themselves first. And that is, you take 20% of your after-tax income and pay yourself first, that is, put it away, save it, invest it, and repeat that steps again and again and again. And over the 30 to 40-year period of your working life, you're more likely to end up with more money and wealth than you'd ever need in your life. And that basic principle is, uh, uh, is basically what David Bach uh, popularized uh, more than two or three decades ago now. And he's released a new book, um, and David Bach has simply uh, be described and sort of, you know, summarised as the pay yourself first man. So this concept has been around for many, many years. Uh, it's it's been popularised by him over the last two decades, and and basically, um, he uh, if you go to YouTube and just Google, you know, YouTube his name or just google his name you find a number of videos that he's created on youtube which are free to access and it goes through this principle extremely well and he just hammers it into your brain and it's basically the pay yourself mantra and that's that's you know a simplified version is what i'm using in my personal life and what i'm basically explaining in each of my podcast episodes Now, the new book that is released is called The Latte Factor, Why You Don't Have to Be Rich to Live Rich. Now, I'm not a big book man, especially financial books. Um, I love reading, you know, news, etc., but I don't really like novels or, you know, uh, non-fictional books. But um, I thought this book is something that if you're interested in reading books, if you're interested in personal finance, and if you're interested in the pay yourself concept, I thought it might be useful for you, and if you're also interested in novels, because this is not entirely a financial book in itself. Now. The concept behind The Latte Factor, as he explains, is not about buying lattes, but rather the fact that we all spend insignificant amounts of daily money on a regular basis on things that we probably don't need and probably will not miss if we don't have them. And all of that money that we spend over a number of years adds up to our retirement. He identifies why this sort of spending can really make a long-term difference in retirement wealth. Now, the book is a parable. Now, I'd actually Google what that means. Essentially what it is, it's a simple story to illustrate a moral lesson. So if you haven't learned anything from this episode, a parable is a simple story to illustrate a moral lesson. The book follows the journey of Zoe Daniels, who's in New York City. Um, she goes through the daily struggles of life and grinds, and she begins to wonder about life itself, and then seeks advice from her elderly barista. That's where she goes every day to get her coffee and basically who who makes a coffee every day and the secret principles that he explains to her over time um, and talks about the financial freedom is taught by the barista and the journey follows the timeline the book is fictional rather than a financial literacy book which makes it different Um, he's done some podcasts on other channels like afford anything which i subscribe to um, by paula pant i find it find the podcast channel very useful and also Stacking Benjamins uh, which is probably up there with one of my favorite podcast channels Uh, both you know both great channels Uh, if you're interested it's worth a listen it's very American focused so they talk a lot about Roth IRAs and 401ks which is not relevant to Australians but the basic principles of saving and investing holds true down under now, um, the story uh, that I wanted to share, so, so the, basically that's David Bach. Um, uh, he's just released a new book, and I think it's worthwhile if you're interested in fictional financial literacy books. I think it's worthwhile to investigate that and buy it and have a read. Um, I came across um, this article um, uh, in, in the newspaper uh, recently about this app called pay active which basically lets workers access their wages early now i've seen a few of these apps being advertised recently overseas but this is an australian one and i think jenny craig is probably one of the first businesses that's using it um, and essentially the premise or the, the the problem that it tries to solve is that um, if you're in a situation where payday is still a couple of weeks um, to go and your bank balance has dwindled down to next to nothing And then your car breaks down, so you have an emergency. What do you do now? Currently, prior to this happen, there are other services called payday lenders, which are basically you know loan sharks, which is an absolute nightmare. They charge you know hundred to five hundred percent interest on the money. So you might have seen um, ads called Nimble um, on TV. It's absolute nightmare. I think they're a form of payday lender. Um, So this particular app is not a payday lender, but essentially it allows you to access your wages prior to your next pay date to try and settle those emergencies that come up in life and emergencies do come up in life whether it's healthcare costs or whether it's car breakdowns or leaking roofs or whatever it is or the unexpected speeding fine. Um, I, I, I never speed so I never get speeding fines, so that doesn't apply to me um, but essentially this app is free for businesses to set up Uh, but it costs a flat fee of $5 per transaction for the employees. So in other words, the businesses um, don't have to pay anything, but the employees, if I need to access their own money, which is coming up in the future, they need to pay $5 per transaction. There's no contracts, there's no subscription fees, uh, but workers are limited to two withdrawals per pay period and the maximum withdrawal of $1,000 or up to 50% of earned but unpaid wages as built-in protection. So you basically can't take all your expected wages coming up in the future and just blow it on, on alcohol. Um, and I don't know whether you need to justify why you're taking the money out earlier. But why is that relevant? Well, research in Australia, and I think it would probably hold true in North America and most of Europe as well, is that one in three Australians won't have enough money to fund a $500 emergency. So, one in three Australians will not have enough money to fund a $500 emergency. Now, to me, that is a crisis. Um, so, uh, that, is, uh, that, that statistic is just amazing. I wasn't aware that it was such a huge problem uh, across the nation, but that is an incredible statistic. And they did uh, some other research from uh, finder.com.au, which revealed that 57% of Australians, and this is what the article says, 57% of Australians or more than 11 million people don't have enough spare cash ...to survive a $5,000 emergency. So major medical expense um, which requires you know, private health care. Uh, luckily in Australia, for those outside Australia, we have a very good health system where it's free. Um, but you might have a $5,000 roof leak or you might have a uh, $5,000 car emergency or whatever it is. And of these Aussies that are struggling with their savings, one in four would rely on their friends and family to bail them out... ...while 13% would turn to a personal loan for that $5,000 emergency and 1 in 8 would have to put it on a credit card um, and 5% would draw from their superannuation which is a retirement savings, absolutely crazy and 3% would take out a payday loan which is just an absolute crazy thing to do. So then they go on to justify this, saying we all get paid weekly, fortnightly or monthly. But what happens if there's an emergency halfway through that cycle? You might have to wait another couple of weeks before payday. And unfortunately, some people go without, miss a bill payment, which affects their credit rating, load up their credit cards even more and apply for an overdraft or go to payday lenders. Now, I'm all for business uh, I'm all for capitalism. I'm all for starting new ideas. And I think this is a very ingenious idea to try and protect those people going to go into those payday loan sharks. But this is the problem if you don't have emergency funds. Now, they go on to talk about in this article that until you build up your emergency funds, this might be a safe way for you to access your own money so you don't have to pay any interest on it. Uh, but remember, you're always catching your tail. So this is one of the reasons why you need to save that 20% after-tax income right from the get-go and try and get your financial behavior in order so you don't end up in this situation having to access your future wages because once you access your future wages, you kind of don't get it back. They're not going to pay that money back in two weeks' time. You've already accessed it. So I don't see any difference from doing that than going and borrowing money apart from the fact that there's interest and there's risks and there's credit ratings, etc. So yeah, I kind of get it that it's kind of better than borrowing money, but you're kind of borrowing your own money where you don't have to repay it. So yeah, it is probably a safer system, but please, if you're listening to this and don't have emergency funds, go back and listen to my emergency fund podcast episode and start saving that emergency fund. So that's the article that I wanted to talk about, but let's get on to the main topic of this podcast, which is basically what are LICs or listed investment companies. Um, Now we've discussed ETFs and we've discussed index funds, uh, which basically gives exposure to a wide range of asset classes by way of diversification. Um, licks are kind of similar but different they're simple they provide similar diversification by way of a single investment Uh, so it provides the investor who has little expertise or experience to achieve diversification rather quickly Um, uh, but then the question goes well isn't that what ETFs and index funds do so what's the big difference so let's go through the differences between ETFs index funds and licks So what are LIX? So the structure of LIX is different. Basically, listed investment companies are actually companies, and they're listed on the Australian Stock Exchange, and their primary purpose is to buy and invest in other companies. Um, And basically, they have a very long-term view of the economy, they have a very long-term view of investing, so they buy and hold strategy mostly. Um, so they manage a range of investments though um so they can buy and hold shares they can buy and hold property trusts or properties uh they can you know have interest bearing deposits on them and then what they do is once they um, you know once the company buys and holds Um, The company itself owns it and you kind of get a piece of the pie. And then the company makes a profit on that and they distribute that income by way of fully franked dividends on which the company, which is the listed investment company, has already paid company tax, which is around 30%. Now, remember, franking dividends and refunds and credits are a major point of contention at the moment. Now, for you overseas listeners, uh, this coming Saturday, which is May the 18th, 2019, is the Australian federal election and franking dividends and refunds? There's been massive, massive campaigns on both sides. Um, on you know one side are saying they're going to remove them, and the other side is saying no, that's going to cause a huge crisis. So it's a very, very hot topic at the moment because it's election season. Now the second point about listed investment companies is the asset exposure. So there are two main ones in Australia uh, of LICs. There's actually quite a few, but the two main ones that I know about are Argo and uh, Australian Foundation Investment Company there are very good examples of exposure to Australian share markets but Contango for example which is another LIC which exposes to small cap companies Global Mining Investments Group focuses only on mining shares and Platinum Capital focuses mainly on international sa- shares so basically that particular LIC has a vision has a focus and they focus on their interests in terms of what type of shares what type of investments they're going to buy and hold? So a listed investment company may not buy and hold all types of uh, all types of investments. So you need to pick out the one that you um, you know share your interest with in terms of what you think is good for your own personal finance circumstance. So each company is a listed investment company which has a specific focus. And within that company, they hold shares and assets according to their risk profile and diversification, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But it's important to note this is not like passive investing because listed investment companies have professionals who manage the LICs. Therefore, they have active decision makers on which companies to hold, which companies to buy, and which companies to trade or sell within the LIC passive investing on the other hand is when you just put the money into an index fund like an asx 200 or 300 through vanguard which don't have professionals managing it and therefore it just tracks the index so if you buy the asx 200 index and the index goes up so does your managed fund you make more money if the index goes down so does your managed fund and you lose money so basically just tracks that index it's simple it's cost effective you have no say in it in what is within that index. And you also have no say if the index crashes. So whereas listed investment companies are more active investment uh, uh, strategy as opposed to passive investment, which is basically just, you know, you just put your money in and you build it up over time and hope that the index goes up. And if the index goes up, then your fund goes up. Now, uh, the third difference is that with mutual funds, we've briefly touched upon this called net asset value, which is basically the total value of the entity's assets minus the total value of its liabilities, then you divide it by the number of units that the particular mutual fund has. For listed investment companies, that similar concept is called net tangible assets, and the calculation is total assets of a company minus intangible assets such as trademarks and patents, etc., etc., minus all the liabilities. That's very similar to um, uh, NAV, uh, but you might have heard another term called book value. So, why is that important? Because if the listed investment company is trading at a premium, it means it's trading above what its net tangible assets is, so it's relatively expensive. So this is a pretty important concept to sort of grasp as to whether you should buy a particular LIC or not. Uh, If it's trading below its NTA, it means it's relatively cheap. Now, that's kind of geeky, but you might have to calculate it yourself. Uh, You can probably Google it and find that information for the particular listed investment company uh, that you're thinking about buying. But this is the big difference. Number four, this is the big difference between... Um, listed investment companies and other types of investments such as ETFs, hedge funds and mutual funds, right? Listed investment companies are closed-ended type of investments. Now, it took me a while to grasp this concept, so bear with me. Hopefully, I'll try and explain this as best as I possibly can. So, to understand what a closed-ended type of investment is, you need to understand this. It's important to understand what is an open-ended investment strategy such as hedge funds or ETFs or mutual funds or index tracking funds, for example. An open-ended investment strategy or open type of investment is the fund can issue unlimited number of shares or units. As long as buyers want to buy, the shares and units keep coming and getting sold, and hence the term open-ended. The investment is always open or the type of investment is always open. So when you buy new shares or units... The fund creates them, and when you sell shares or units, the fund takes them out of the circulation. So the fund needs to make sure they have enough money in case you sell your units to pay you, all right? or not pay you, but give you your money back. If you've made a profit, they need to have enough money in the circulation in the fund to be able to do that, so they actually sell, um, uh, sell the shares or units and take it out of the circulation and return the money plus the profit, right? So what are closed-ended investments? So listed investment companies are called closed-ended investments. This means there is a defined pool of shares to buy and sell. This is the shares of the listed investment company, with which then goes on and buys holdings in a multitude of companies, right? And the investors have to buy and sell shares within the LIC amongst themselves. So you can't infinitely buy new amounts of shares as new shares are not issued. Let me go through that concept again. So for open-ended investments, you can keep buying and buying and buying and buying and buying, the managed funds or the investments create new shares and new units and just issue them to you. For listed investment companies, they're closed-ended investments, which means there is a defined pool of shares to buy and sell, and investors have to buy and sell shares within the LIC amongst themselves. So you can't infinitely buy new amounts of shares as new shares are not issued often. The shares in LICs are bought and sold through the stock exchange. Remember with Vanguard ASX passive index fund, you don't need a brokerage. It's not kind of it's not listed on the stock exchange. So, um, whereas the LICs, they're bought and sold through the stock exchange because they're listed, they're listed on the ASX. In other words, if an investor shale, uh, uh, sells shares within the LIC, It gets sold to another investor within that LIC, which means the money never leaves the LIC. The money never leaves the listed investment company. However, in the case of a managed fund, the money leaves the fund. Sometimes listed investment companies do issue new shares, but it's carefully regulated. Now, why is that important? Well, it's important because the fund manager, the, the the guy or girl that's a professional manager of the of the LIC, can select investments not worrying about how much money is coming or leaving the company because they've got a stable source of money and income, and this gives stability, and stability generally means making decisions more sound in the long term. Now, I know what you're going to ask me. Does that mean a listed investment company is going to beat or outperform the index? Mm, I'll get to that in a moment. Number five, the costs. Management fees are usually quite low compared to other active type of managements. So for example, the Australian Foundation Investment Company and in Argo, the two biggest ones in Australia, uh, have been around for ages and they pay consistent frank dividends and they charge management expense ratios around 0.14% and 0.15%. And This is pretty competitive. Um, now, this is, of course, not including the brokerage fees that you need to have in order to buy these LICs, and the main reason for these low costs is because they have a buy and hold strategy. They don't try and actively trade too many times. So when you keep trading shares or units, guess who makes money? It's like changing the lanes that I talked about in my previous podcast. I did a travel podcast last week. So when you change lanes, you kind of lose out. So when you keep trading shares or units, buy and sell, buy and sell, buy and sell, the person that makes money is not you. It's the brokerage firms that make the money. Okay, So therefore, a buy and hold strategy, which is called a long-term strategy, um, is uh, what licks uh, generally tend to do. And that kind of makes sense. And that's exactly what I'm trying to do uh, in my passive investing strategy. I just buy and hold and buy and hold and buy and hold and buy and hold and reinvest the dividends and save that 20% after tax income Mm -hmm. and basically Mm -hmm. do it forever and ever and ever and ever um, and essentially Hopefully over time, over 30, 40 years, I'll have a uh, you know, significant amount of uh, investments and wealth that I probably won't need, but it's nice to have anyway. Number six, transparency. Now, index funds are generally considered less transparent than listed investment companies. What does that mean? Um, it just means that, for example, you can easily see which stocks are held within the Australian Foundation Investment Company, which is a form of LIC, uh, or Argo, just like other ASX companies. So, because LICs have to comply with all the ASX corporate governance requirements. Now, it's not to say that index funds don't have to comply. It's, you know, you kind of have to, you know, dig around to find out, you know, what is in that index. Whereas in LICs, it's relatively easy to find. In fact, if you go to the AFIC or Argo websites, they actually tell you exactly what holdings they have. And lastly, number seven, to own a liquid, to actually buy a listed investment company, you need to have brokerage. So there are brokerage fees on top of the management fees, and this can work out more expensive than passive index funds, but you need to do your sums okay so generally you you don't need a brokerage firm to invest in index passive funds or passive index funds uh you need a brokerage uh firm to have access to to be able to buy etfs which is like i've talked about it before uh, which is more designed for institutional investors rather than retail investors uh, or consumer investors like you and i Uh, and listed investment companies are similar you need to have a brokerage like comsec or nab trade or whatever it is to actually buy these listed investment companies so If listed investment companies are so good, are they better than other types of investment? I'm not a financial advisor. This podcast channel is mainly for your education and entertainment. So if you want real advice, they say the advice that you get is what you pay for. So make sure you go and see your own financial advisor. But let's look at this performance of Australian Foundation Investment Company. uh, Performance ending April 2019, which is straight from their website. One year return of 10.6% fantastic. Uh, S&P ASX 200 index, though, has done 12.2%. Five-year return is 7.5% with AFIC. Uh, The ASX 200 has done 9.2%. Ten-year return has been 11.3% with AFIC, and ASX 200, in comparison, has been about 11.7%, so it tends to even out in the long term. But the returns discussed in LICs are after taxes, management fees, Dividends, reinvestments for the LICs, etc. Whilst for the ASX 200, it doesn't take that into account. Um, but for LICs, uh, it doesn't include the brokerage. So you need to work out, you know, which one's better according to your own personal circumstance. Now let's look at Argo, which have a little bit more data. Um, the performance ending April 2019, one-year return um, is basically uh, 8%. ASX 200 is 10.4%. 3-year return is 9.1%, ASX 200 is 11.1%. The 5-year return is 6.1% for Argo, ASX 200 is 7.5%. The 10-year return is 9.3%, ASX 200 is 10%. And 15-year return is 8.2%, whereas ASX 200 is 8.9%. And 20-year return is 8.6% for Argo, and ASX 200 is 8.7%. So at each of those stages... It kind of looks like the ASX beats the IGO, but again, returns are after taxes, management expense ratios, dividends have been reinvested. Whilst for ASX 200, it doesn't take that into account. But for Licks, it also doesn't take into account brokerage fees. So if you have a brokerage firm that charges you an arm and a leg to actually trade LICs, then you might end up uh, getting screwed over. So it really depends on your personal situation. And that's why this is not a financial uh, advice channel, it doesn't take into account your personal circumstances. But it gives you a bit of an idea about the performance of licks versus ASX uh, 200. Uh, and I, personally, I don't have any licks. Um, I may consider buying them depending on uh, you know, what my sort of uh, long-term take is. But essentially, the premise is the same. You save that money, you invest, you keep doing it forever. And hopefully in the long term, over 30 or 40 years, if you reinvest dividends and keep doing that and follow that simple strategy, you are going to have more wealth than you're probably ever going to need. So you really need to do your sums, though, to see if LICs are worth it for you um, and compare that to passive index funds, compare it to ETFs, compare it to property and all the types of investments that we've talked about in the past. You know, some people like the structure of LICs, some people like the frank dividends of LICs and also their transparency, which is more than the passive index funds. And I agree with that. They're much more transparent than passive index funds. And that's Okay. Um, now, just to look into what type of shares um, Australian Foundation Investment Company holds, you know, they hold CBA, BHP, Westpac, NAB, CSL, Macquarie, Rio, Tinto, Telstra. You know, these are the big guns, uh, which are also part of your passive index ASX 200 or 300 fund that you may own. But uh, these are all the usual suspects. Uh, uh, I call them the usual suspects when it comes to massive companies. But they also hold, uh, hold some smaller companies. So they also hold Ramsay Health, Uh, treasury fine estates main freight and sydney airport etc so they don't always go with the big guns you know they they sort of have about you know uh, 20 or 30 holdings i don't know exactly how much it is and they you know they they actively buy these holdings based on individually analyzing that performance of that company so that's about it that's listed investment companies so in summary in this podcast we've talked about david bark who's really popularized the pay yourself concept. And that's basically the premise that I'm basing my financial uh, you know, podcast channel on to make sure that you save that money for yourself and invest it for yourself. And I've sort of set a figure of about 20% after-tax income. Now, if you can't do the 20%, that's okay. Start slow, go low, go whatever. You know, do as much as you possibly can, but try and build it up to that 20%. Uh, we talked about the app called the Pay Active uh which is this sort of concept of trying to access your wages earlier than when you would be paid in the event that you have an emergency i don't know how they're going to regulate that how they're going to police that you know is having a drink on a friday night an emergency is going to the mcg to watch the footy an emergency i don't know how they're going to police that there has to be some sort of behavioral finance behind this otherwise you can easily spend a lot of money that you probably don't need to and then don't get paid very much in a couple of weeks when the real pay is due and again let's avoid all this, save that money, build up your emergency fund so you don't have to rely on these apps. And definitely don't go to payday lenders. They're just absolute, um, you know, they're basically thieves, um, in my view anyway, um, you know, charging 300, percent interest rate. It's absolutely crazy. And lastly, we talked about listed investment companies. We went through the different types of structures, the way they pay frank dividends, the management fees, and, you know, the pros and cons of each approach and how they defer to managed funds. We talked about open inve- uh, open-ended investments versus closed-ended investments. So that's episode number 36. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. And just to reiterate the motto, pay yourself first, save that 20% after-tax income, and go see a real financial advisor if you need financial advice. But I hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I hope you really enjoy this podcast channel. Um, I've had it a- A fair bit of rise in number of subscribers, particularly in the last month. So thank you very much. Uh, And thanks for all those people that have SMS called or even Facebooked me or or on Whirlpool. I really appreciate your support and really appreciate your questions because every time you ask a question, um, I'm learning as well. Um, And it's great to share ideas because we need to improve the financial literacy of of, uh, Australians in general uh, or in general, everyone but certainly Australian. So thank you very much for your support. Till next time. That's episode number 37. Stay safe. Thank you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands.